0: Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm.
1: I'm Josh Evans.
0: And on today's episode, we talk about the endless horizontal scrolling that is a graphic depiction of the wealth inequality in our society. And although we don't mention it specifically on the show, quite a bit represents how much Jeff Bezos' ex-wife got in the divorce. And then Josh talks vaguely about a fictional disease, which could definitely be plausible, but sounds pretty crazy. I mean, I've heard of people being afraid of squares, but... Triangles? That's a new one for my fear journal. So get ready for paranoia, itching, and discussing the current state of the world during the coronavirus pandemic for the Scott Sigler novel, Infected. You've heard of people being afraid of squares? <laughs> I'm afraid of squares.
1: Movie shows and video games, podcast books, and their acclaims let their favorite content become yours. It starts right now.
0: Brett. I'm recording.
1: That's great. <laughs> I was going to ask, how are you? But that was my second question. You know that's always the follow-up. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. The last couple days have been pretty rough uh, with Mando, the dog. Um, we were trying a new training method because he sometimes does do a little, uh, a little attacking. Like I'd say, when he gets really excited when he's playing, he goes from the perfect dog to a little vicious and we were trying out a new uh training method uh if anybody's ever heard of don sullivan it's hit that thing it's like a control collar i think we were adding fuel to the fire we're, we're back to positive reinforcement and just ignoring bad behavior but i gotta say man raising a puppy is tough and the last few days were pretty they were pretty tough
1: so what, it's like a shock collar
0: no no it's um it's like a it's like a really gentle pinch collar. Like it's it's got just like kind of sharp, uh, plastic, um, triangles on it that just sort of dig in a little bit t- to that you kind of pull on the leash and it's to like give them a correction. Just like a mother dog, it's kind of the theory a, a mother dog will kind of nip at their neck to like get them to correct their behavior. But, um, so like
1: a neck massage. I don't know if massaging <laughs> him when he's bad is really going to do the trick.
0: I mean, I think it's a little bit more um, unpleasant than a neck massage, but it, it, it didn't seem to be working. There is something I wanted to run, run by you, though, and it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I All right, the, well, let's hear it. I had this thought. Uh, actually today when you when you texted me i i never really responded to texts on my apple watch but um i was doing something and i didn't know where my phone was and i was going to reply and i you know you can react with those emojis and yeah. i i saw all the different all the different thumbs up that i could choose and i i i don't know if this is an appropriate question but um or i guess it's not a question i it's just a thought that i had but i i don't think white people should be allowed to use black-skinned emojis, and when I had that thought, uh, I felt like I, it, it was like a racist thought. But I don't, I don't think it is. But I'm, be, I'm being serious though. That's not a joke. You don't think they should be allowed to? I don't think white people should use like a black thumbs up. What do you think about Man, that? Man,
1: I feel like I feel like that's way down the road of uh, of wokeness. Is I feel it like yeah it's I feel like weird, if you though. get offended at that you're just looking to get offended I'm not I'm not I saying
0: think. I I'm not saying I get offended at it I just think that it's like weird why would somebody do that I I know people I, that have done that
1: I don't know I mean I guess you accidentally hit the wrong button maybe <laughs> I guess what, that's what, possible What are you what are you proposing that like <laughs> the iPhone face scan thing <laughs> no. if it detects that your skin is white it like Graze out all of the dark skin emojis. <laughs> is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> is that what you're proposing? No,
0: because I will admit to uh also when I had this thought I, I remembered that I had used uh I don't remember if it was last Christmas or the Christmas before, but any time I was sending a Santa emoji, I would always send the blackest Santa emoji. Because it looks visually <laughs> appealing to me, the the Pops. Yeah. The white beard. Red Hat. I don't know. I don't like where this conversation. And we
1: don't know where Santa was from, honestly. So. We don't.
0: We no. don't. Actually, we do. He was made up from our imagination,
1: so he could be any <laughs> color you want, Brett. Absolutely. That's the beauty of Santa.
0: I, I, exactly. But See, I, when it comes to like a personal, like when I send a text, I, I and this is just everybody's choice, but for me, I think it's weird to send a different color uh, or, or just any kind of emoji representation that's supposed to represent you that is not the right shade of yourself?
1: Well, I think that it's, like I said, I think that's really down the path of wokeness. And wokeness is one of my least favorite things in the whole world because I think it gives power to these thoughts and ideas like what you're saying about it's not right for a, a white person to use a black emoji. It gives power to that when it really shouldn't have power. It shouldn't matter. I mean, like if it's if it's really important, you know, the idea of equality and fairness, then that shouldn't be offensive because skin color really shouldn't be an issue anyways. And I think that I kind of highlights that. how much of an issue people make it when it shouldn't be a problem.
0: Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I ran this by you. I'm surprised yeah, you don't my thoughts on it. I'm surprised you don't listen to more Sam Harris. He talks a lot about this, and and uh, I think you'd agree with a lot of his views.
1: Well, I drive a lot. I'm just trying to stay awake while I'm driving. Yeah.
0: Do you ever listen to that <laughs> no. uh,
1: "Divided Mind" podcast that I recommended last week? I listened to the first fifty-five minutes of it, but uh, I, I didn't have time to send off my email to get the the free content. Well, but, but it's definitely something I'm gonna do.
0: I'll do it for you. I'll I'll, I'll pretend. Do it, Brett. I'll pretend that I'm you. Uh, super wide emoji and everything. Perfect. When I send that me- message to samharris.org,
1: he'll get it. <laughs> so I uh, actually just got a brand new iPhone today, and I was without a phone for like an hour while they were backing up from one phone to the other, and. I was like, I don't even know what to do. I'm just going to go sleep in my car (laughs) while I'm waiting.
0: (laughs) A perfect time for a nap when you don't have a phone. It was great. Wow. And
1: speaking of naps, I actually didn't have that hard of a time sleeping in my car because – so typically whenever I talk about my neck on this podcast, I just edit it out because I know nobody wants to hear me complain about my neck. But this isn't complaining because – man, my neck, Brett, has felt better today than it's felt in like over a month. And uh, I did dry needling oh, on yeah. Tuesday. Wow. Have you done dry needling before?
0: Well, I have, not on my neck. I, w- I was going to ask, though, if it was the uh, Don Sullivan uh, control collar that you had used on your neck. but The
1: gentle neck massage? Yeah. No, it was... So I went to... I started going to PT again. Before COVID, I was going to PT twice a week, and then COVID kind of shut that down. But... For the last month, I've had this horrible pinch in my neck. Like I was under the impression it was a a spinal issue. I was getting tingling down my right arm, aching when I would move my head about like 15 degrees to the right. I was feeling this pinch under my under my collarbone. My arm was radiating. It was going up into my scalp. And so uh, my my uh, PT guy, he said that it sounded more in this. Case like a muscle issue, and so that was like a huge weight off my neck and my back to hear that to know it maybe wasn't my spine this time. So he did dry needling, which the way he explained it, it's basically like acupuncture without the magic. He said that, like, the <laughs> well, I think they target
0: specific nerves,
1: yeah. Well, like, with acupuncture, it's all about like chi and your chakras and whatever. But uh, we were discussing it, and it sounds kind of like they were really onto something when acupuncture was invented. They just didn't really have the medical science and background to back up what they were doing. And so they made up all this hoopla, but it actually does do something. And what he did, he did two needles in my neck. It was like a little vampire bite, just in and out. But he said (laughs) what it does uh, in the neck muscles. So like the fibers of of my neck were all bunched up and kind of like, they're typically aligned and they were starting to roll over each other and kind of cross up like a like a wicker basket. And when he did the dry needles, it kind of like shocked them back into a lining. It gets the blood flow going. But it was like a magic bullet. He went in. He came back out. He did like a little bit of like neck adjustment. And then it was seriously like I gained 30 degrees of movement and the pain in my neck went away. Wow. It was kind of relief. I've never had anything like that with – my neck or back issues. It was so amazing. And I just have to tell everybody I talk to these days, including everyone that listens to this podcast. Cause that's, I feel like, yeah, that's amazing. Man. That's incredible. Yeah, great.
0: Well, I know when, uh, Brie tore her ACL, she did some dry needling at physical therapy. And then, um, I actually got some dry needling and, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't feel like a new man, but it certainly was interesting for sure.
1: It was great. That's awesome. I'd recommend it to anybody where it might apply, it's not weird. It's almost like not even a needle at all. It's like having a little, th- a little stiff hair stuck in. It's like so <laughs> thin, <laughs> you know. It's like it's not like a syringe or anything.
0: Well, that's awesome. I'm happy to hear that.
1: It's great. So what you got in your off top.
0: Yeah. So um, I actually texted this to to you via the uh, group text. Um, It is this link. I've been aware of this link for a while, but it basically shows wealth inequality to scale. And it's it's, crazy. It's really something. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to keep it short. I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot because I think people need to really check it out to get the full experience. But essentially you're scrolling horizontally through this page. And I've looked at it both on my laptop and on an iPhone. Um, And you're just, it's kind of like a visual representation of like oh a little pixel is a thousand dollars and then here this block is a million dollars now here is what a medium household a median household uh, annual income looks like compared to that and then and the idea is apparently uh, and I believe this especially after seeing this app people just vastly underestimate what uh the wealth inequality gap looks like or what a trillion dollars or a billion dollars looks like compared to a million and i actually um heard this quote online that was it was a reddit comment and it was something like the difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars is about a billion dollars (laughs) but <laughs> dude,
1: it's unimaginable the thing. I couldn't believe how long I was scrolling. It will it will it at, takes
0: like 15 minutes of like your thumb scrolling on the page. Um but yeah, you start out just comparing your like measly financial worth against Jeff Bezos who we were just kind of joking about I think last week. And, like, yeah, he's insanely rich, but as the app puts it, it is a drop in the ocean compared to the combined wealth of his peers. So the 400 richest Americans own about $3.2 trillion, and that is more than the bottom 60% of Americans. And as this website tells you, it it says, uh, keep in mind, all this wealth is controlled by a group that could fit on a single 747 airplane with hundreds of seats left over. I don't know if they got their their seat uh their seating chart correct for the 747. They said 260 seats left over. There are different seating configurations for the 747, but I think the maximum was like about 550, but the point is the point remains you could fit these people that own the bottom 60% of wealth and you you could put them on one airplane and that you could have You know, over 100 seats left over. and uh, Why didn't they
1: just pick a smaller plane that has less seats and use (laughs) that as the point of reference?
0: (laughs) I don't know. I think they were just trying to make a point because everybody can imagine, like, a 747, and, you know, that's the one that could actually, you know, easily hold 400 people in most configurations. But speaking of airplanes, if you remember, when I started flying Charter... Uh, this is back in like 2013. I flew a small charter jet that um, you know, and this wasn't a big Gulfstream or a Challenger. It was it was a big company. We were the the largest privately or wholly owned fleet uh, for a charter company. But I remember, I think it was my first trip that I flew into this little airport in Texas. It was uh, Sugarland, Texas, and it's near Houston. Never heard of this place before in my life. It's this is little town. Little airport, the ramp was full of insanely uh, expensive airplanes. I mean, very nice, like Gulfstream, Gulfstream Challenger, uh, Gulfstream G, you know, six hundred and fifty or whatever. I mean, it, it, there was probably close to half a billion dollars sitting on the ramp. Sure you didn't
1: land at the Gulfstream manufacturing plant.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I mean, it's but the you know, it's just like. That was kind of my first exposure to like how much uh, wealth there is out there that we're just totally unaware of, and it's like, oh, this is just this one little airport I've never heard of. You know, this isn't even Teterboro in New York, or this isn't uh, Orange County or Burbank in you know California.
1: But what was the significance of Sugarland? Is there something there that's? I mean, it's it, probably
0: folks out there. Probably oil and gas. Um, oh, it makes sense. Yeah, private and corporate, but uh, or
1: maybe they make sugar there. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> that's bit the big sugar conglomerates. <laughs> I mean, it's it, check out this check out this page check out this app. It's really interesting. Um, you've probably you know if you're like me and you spent a lot of time during uh the COVID pandemic scrolling um on like kind of fear fearful news um. Which I, I Your
1: fear journal, yeah, like exactly. filling up the, this last few
0: months, <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, you probably saw you know all these recent headlines about the number of billionaires increased, it's increased by 30 percent. There's been like over 2,000 new billionaires, um, or that what, yeah, billionaires have actually made 3.9 trillion dollars during the pandemic. Um, also, if you're, well,
1: I'm glad somebody was doing yeah, well, exactly.
0: I mean, the the Federal Reserve, they're just printing money to prevent an economic collapse. We've been arguing, uh, you know, politically with both of the last, the, the, present, for the present president and the last president it has been this long dragged out process to, you know, fighting over, should we give uh, these, you know, these peons uh, an extra hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks in their stimulus check? I mean, people are out of work can't afford rent, can't afford healthcare. Um and I also wanted to mention there is a and this is outside the US, but there's a Malaysian businessman who has a yacht that is literally covered in gold.
1: This oh, is that doesn't sound like it would float very well.
0: This is a this is a, an anonymous businessman. He spent 4.8 billion dollars on a super yacht. It is covered in platinum and gold, in the master bedroom, there is a uh, wall art made of a meteor and the bones of a T Rex. Whoa!
1: <laughs> so <laughs> seems practical.
0: So, um, so check out this app if you're getting a little depressed um, about this this widening uh, wealth gap. Then I'm also going to share one more link uh, for a music video. You you probably remember Rebecca Black the the internet meme sensation she was thrust into the spotlight with that song friday that was kind of an earworm you know what i'm that talking sounds about
1: exactly like the kind of thing i would have avoided friday so it does friday. not ring a bell with me
0: gotta get down on friday you don't remember that no okay well, but sing a little bit more brett maybe uh, you'll uh we're gonna you'll spark my memory i'm gonna pass on that well uh it was kind of n- notoriously bad you know millions of people saw it it was a whole thing uh that was back in 2011 10 years later, 10 years have gone by and she has created like a new, um, it's, it's called Friday remix. I guess this genre is called hyper pop. I think this is like a new Gen Z thing. I have no idea. It's, it's, uh, it's spiky. It's manic. It's like a fever dream of confusion. So I don't, I don't know. I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe it'll cheer you up or maybe they'll just it'll be confirmation bias uh, if you think our society is on the verge of collapse. So either way, it'll kind of flush any thought out of your brain.
1: Well, the huge body of work of Rebecca black (laughs) spanning over a decade and covering such things as Friday and Friday song about Friday. Friday It really sounds like the work of a true genius. Yeah. Um, You know what I was thinking when you said, about the government just printing money uh, that reminded me of do you remember at the tunnel when we used to have that zimbabwean it was like a 100 trillion dollar bill or something that was on the on our money wall i don't remember that but
0: that is the fear uh, with just you know creating wealth
1: exactly is
0: hyperinflation i mean it happened like, to I, a, a town in uh, germany too where you know literally over the span of days money became worthless
1: Yeah, like I I remember wondering, like, is this hundred trillion dollar bill? Is this a joke? And I looked into like you know the Zimbabwean financial system, and it was like what you're talking about. You know, they had a financial crisis. They started printing money, and it. They said that just over a few weeks, it was like you'd go to the store, and all of a sudden, you would need like a wheelbarrow full of money to buy like a roll of toilet paper, and then just everything collapsed because you know they just got into that downward spiral and now we you know we had that 100 trillion dollar bill on the on the wall yeah. or whatever it was it was some ridiculous <laughs> thing but it was printed on like official looking like plasticky paper like you know like overseas money looks and it was like a real thing and it's just that is disturbing to see like how fragile that system is and it was very disturbing looking at this this endless scroll of Jeff Bezos's wealth and then all the other people you know, it, it really did like having that visual, put it into perspective of just like how insignificant the amount of money that people like us have ever made. Yeah. It said like in your entire lifetime, you'll make like $1.7 million if you are making the, the average income for whatever it is, 55 years. And that was like eight pixels on there. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It's,
0: it's worth checking out for sure. And I think, I mean, I think that's a fear that's kind of happening right now is, uh, you know, if you just, if you just try to stimulate the economy by adding a bunch of money and I think the way they slow that down is by raising interest rates and, and the cost to borrow. But right now, you know, you don't want to slow down the bounce back of the economy. So it's still very easy to borrow money. And, um, so there's a, there's a lot of fears with that. It is a delicate ecosystem that I think nobody really understands. But uh, I'm just going to continue uh, buying GameStop stocks and cryptocurrency, and I will be uh, prepared to trade that for bullets when everything collapses.
1: I was going to say, that sounds <laughs> bulletproof. It sounds like you were a step ahead of me. That's right. Well, no matter how bad the financial system gets, Luckily, we've always got content to fall back <laughs> that's, on, right, Brett? That's true. That's, speaking yeah. <laughs> of just perfect segues, what's on your content circuit? Uh, well, let's see.
0: I've been on a Marvel kick, um, and it's no uh, it's no nice. accident because uh, WandaVision just rolled right into the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, Disney, now that they own Marvel, they know what they're doing. And I, w- I was thinking about this, too, by the way, so... You know how Marvel and Disney are not the same thing; they're the same. They're the same thing. The way Pixar and Disney is the same thing, exactly. <laughs> Mar- yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Disney owns all of them, exactly. Okay, exactly. Just wanted to get that out there. Um, but besides that, I think that's about it. There was another piece of content. What What have you been sending me recently? Did you send me some piece of content?
1: Uh, I don't know, i so, okay. probably email you like or text you a million oh, things a day. I know what
0: I was thinking of, those strike videos. I consumed oh, those, yeah. they were disturbing.
1: Very disturbing. Yeah. You know, uh, speaking of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I've only seen the first episode, but uh, uh, my good friend Mickey, who is uh, I was on a skydiving team with for a long time, and he's done a lot of stunts in Marvel movies. He's done stunts in uh, the Jack Ryan season uh, series, and he does a stunt, in the first episode, I think he said he stunt doubled, uh, Anthony Mackie for some of the flying scenes. And there's like a lot of really cool skydiving scenes in the beginning of, uh, Falcon and the winter soldier. So yeah, it was cool like to see jet
0: wingsuiting too. Yeah. Yeah. Through the canyons. But, uh,
1: there's the, there's a clip at the beginning where, uh, Falcon steps out of the back of the plane and like goes into free fall and flies away. And I send him a clip. It's like, Hey, is this you? And he's like, yep, you know it. That's awesome. So that's pretty cool to see, uh. It's like we interviewed Rusty Lewis on here with his fantastic skydiving with uh, Tom Cruise, and now Mickey also has done a ton of stunts. And I've always wanted to get him on the show, so maybe we'll uh, do that one day and interview him about his Marvel work. That'd be
0: awesome. I, I mean, Falcon. I don't know if you how much you've seen a Falcon in the Winter Soldier, but
1: just the first episode. Oh,
0: that's right. You just said that. I'm a great listener. That it it is awesome. Check this.
1: Tr- check the transcript. So, uh, <laughs>
0: okay. It's it is awesome. I love it. Sweet. Yeah. I'll have
1: to go back and check that out.
0: Well, how about you? You Uh, watch more gory uh, nature videos. uh,
1: Actually, you know what? I wanted to talk. I I meant to talk about this last week, but I totally spaced it. I think I was talking about Bigfoot or something. But um, we talked about The Walking Dead a while back. And The Walking Dead has been doing these episodes that were produced during COVID. So they're like under all these COVID restrictions. They had to have a smaller cast and crew. So they released six episodes that were kind of part of the season 10 that was abbreviated due to COVID. And they're all these like small kind of small stories with like two or three characters in them. And first of all, they're some of the best walking dead episodes has ever been. And the walking dead really benefits from having this smaller cast because it like forces them to kind of focus down on the personal side of these stories. But I think that they released what quite possibly is the greatest walking dead episode of all time. Like to me, no other episode of the show has ever even come close to this. It was the last one. Even that one
0: in uh, season two where they uh, just
1: talked a lot on that farm. Yeah. It's way better than that boring episode, (laughs) but it was, uh, it's called here's Negan and it's Negan's origin story. And, you watched uh, up to like – you've seen the, the Walking Dead where Negan is part of the story, yes, correct? Yes, So Negan, is he was kind of like the big bad guy for a while. He beat everybody's head in with a baseball oh bat named Lucille, and he ran the Saviors, which was kind of like the antithetical group to Rick Grimes' group. And he was always seen as like the bad guy, but there was always like these little threads of humanity in him. And so I always wanted to see his origin story – and in the origin story and this is not necessarily a spoiler because this information has been out in the comic books for years but his wife is dying of cancer her name is lucille and it's the story takes place this episode it's right at the beginning of the apocalypse a little bit before the beginning it's during like kind of the fall of man and a little bit after so it's kind of bookending when the apocalypse happens and it's it's basically his struggle to try to help his wife with her cancer as the apocalypse is happening. And it shows basically how Negan went from like this normal guy who was like a, he was a a school gym teacher into being this like megalomaniac psychopath that, you know, beat Glenn's head in with a baseball bat. And uh, Uh, his wife is played by his actual wife, uh, Hillary Burton. She plays Lucille on the show. So there's like this really good chemistry Wait, she, the she entire, plays
0: the baseball bat wrapped in barbed wire. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's an amazing She's performance. A good actress. Yes,
1: it's kind of a wooden performance, oh, geez. but uh, <laughs> wah wah. But no, it's really good. If you can get a hold of that somewhere, I watched it on AMC Plus. But even if you are not a huge Walking Dead fan, it kind of works as a standalone story if you just understand a little bit of who Negan is. And I'd say it's probably the best episode of Walking Dead they've ever put out.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I got to love the anti-hero stuff. The Walking Dead was all about their anti-heroes. Not that Negan was a was a uh, anti he was definitely a villain, but it's, you know, I always love when villains get the like gray area treatment of like, oh, I understand, you know, he's the way that he is because of this or whatever. That's awesome, man. That's
1: what makes all the best Marvel villains. in like like uh in Black Panther, Killmonger, it's like that's exactly why he was such a great villain, you know, cuz he you can actually see where he's coming from. Well, the
0: the uh, kind of one of the big hooks in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is the new Captain America, John Walker, and he's definitely getting the uh, not quite Steve Rogers treatment, and it is freaking awesome, man.
1: Oh man, I gotta go check that oh, out. Oh yeah,
0: awesome. Well, well uh, yeah, let's do it. Time? Let's do it. Great minds think
1: alike. Let's take a quick break, and when we get back, some content. Ooh, content. Hello, listeners. Don't hit the skip forward button just yet. This is not an ad. This is a call for you guys and gals to get involved with the show.
0: So we want to hear from you about your favorite pieces of content and why they're the best. Or you can even tell us if you've checked out a piece of content because we recommended it and uh, if you loved it or not. So contact us at contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or on Instagram or Facebook at the contentclearinghouse. And we will read your letters on the air right here. Thanks so much for listening. We love you guys. Okay, back to the show. Ooh, content. Clear it out. Well, let's see. We've covered uh, uh, some controversial emoji uh, discussion. We've uh, talked about a $4.8 billion yacht covered in T-Rex bones, I have a feeling that something you're bringing to the table is going to be something we, t- we discuss. It's going to have some connection.
1: So, Josh... That's, uh, <laughs> that's how it usually happens. We'll see. I think, first of all, you should probably wa- welcome everyone back to the oh. content clearinghouse, just in case they forgot where they are. <laughs> welcome back to the content clearinghouse. <laughs>
0: Josh, are you going to be talking about uh, Rebecca Black's Hyper Pop Friday remix,
1: by chance? You know, I... I started to prepare my outline on it, and then I was like, I don't know if I can do 45 minutes on this. I've only got 35 minutes of content, so I went with something else. So I wanted to ask you, Brett, you know, we've been living through a pandemic for the last year, which is historic, and it's, quite frankly, been kind of crazy. It's been intense. It's been kind of boring at times. It's not at all what I was expecting out of a pandemic, but the world has definitely been a, a much different place than the place that I grew up in. Now, has that changed the type of content that you've been consuming? Like, uh, let me ask you, did you watch Contagion? Oh, absolutely. We talked about
0: yeah, this. Yeah, I did too, I like watched, in the first week. I watched Contagion twice because I rented it. Well, this was when Brie was still flying for American Airlines. With, like, everybody's in masks. Like, no one knows what's happening. She's still going to work. I rented and watched Contagion and was like, oh, yeah, I, I remember this movie. I love this movie. And then when Brie got back from a trip we watched it again. Uh within like yeah, forty eight hours.
1: I was glad to see that it the world didn't quite shake down the way that they predicted there. But it, like it that
0: was it would have if we had the same fatality rate. Like that oh, that yeah. movie is kind of no, held no. as like the gold standard of scientific accuracy in like a Hollywood film.
1: And what was scary is in the beginning that's what we all thought that it was going to be. Like luckily it was not that. Yeah. But that was I mean, in the beginning, that was, it seemed very possible and it was a terrifying visage of what the future could have been. For sure. For sure. And the content I'm talking about today, it seems like it might have been inspired by our current world conditions, but it was actually written 15 years ago. Oh. And I actually read this several years ago as well. So it wasn't exactly inspired by the world of today for me to go back and to go and read this, but. I did go recently check it out when I was preparing this outline and it held a lot of similarities to our current situation. And uh, just let me say like the coronavirus pandemic is no joke, but it could have been so much worse. So today what I'm talking about is the uh, Scott Sigler Infected Trilogy, which is a trilogy of novels. It's a series of books that follows the trail of a microscopic biological agent that turns its victims into paranoid and violent psychopaths as it attempts to gain a foothold in our world. So So if I had to narrow it down. Yeah. yeah. So is this zombie content? No, it's not. Okay. Okay. But if I had to narrow it down, I'd call it a sci-fi medical procedure, cop drama, body horror, (laughs) scientific deep dive, and introspective (laughs) battle of the mind, all set against the most believable depiction of Michigan ever put to paper. Okay. <laughs> so it was written by Scott Sigler. He's a sci fi and horror author, as well as an avid podcaster. Uh, he is on the New York Times bestseller uh, list. He's an author of 16 novels, six novellas, and dozens of short stories. And this guy totally loves Michigan. He loves football, and he loves disturbingly detailed descriptions of the body's biological processes being hijacked. He's real, man, so, he's real man's man is what you're saying exactly yeah when you start talking about football i'm just like well i don't know what you're saying buddy <laughs> but uh i i'm guessing you're right about this because it sounds like you know what you're talking about <laughs> so in this story there are a few important characters so there's perry dossie who's an ex-michigan state football player and he's kind of like the audience's proxy for what it's like to experience this disease firsthand And then there's Margaret Amos who are the CDC epidemiologists and they're the medical investigators that kind of lend this story. It's medical procedure side as they single handedly investigate this disease and they're, they're kind of like shoehorned in the name of national security. And then uh, there's Dewey Phillips who's a CIA CIA agent and he kind of gives the story. It's police procedural and the investigative side of what's going on. Plus there is, And undisclosed by me at this time, a sci-fi angle that kind of feeds into the whole story. And that kind of further complicates this story, which is kind of like a magic trick, I would say. It's a a trick that Scott Sigler has crafted something that's spans so many genres but works so well. Interesting. And the majority of it is set in Michigan. This is kind of like how Stephen King always writes about Maine. Scott Sigler yeah. pretty much always writes about Michigan because he's, I think he's from Ann Arbor or something. But in, uh, in you, this you've to Michigan quite a bit, don't you? Yeah. And that's why it kind of struck a nerve with me because um, I went to Detroit. I don't know. It was maybe a decade ago to go to a uh, lion's game or something on Thanksgiving. And I had read this book before and I remember looking around in Detroit and there was like, it'd be like this really nice area of town. And then, Two blocks over, it would be just like a total slum. There would there would be areas where the roads were like perfectly uh, this like the snow plows had come through and cleared everything away, and then just like a block or two over, it was just like no one had come through there, no one had done anything to help. It would like there were roads where you couldn't go, and you definitely would not want to go. And he touches on all these things in this trilogy. And they just seemed so real to me. It it just happened to be a place that I had gone. So when I was reading this book, it really like – that really spoke to me because that pointed out how well Scott Ziegler, how good of a job he does at describing these real-world scenarios because it all seems so real to me with my just little bit of experience with going to Michigan.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I – you know, Michigan is definitely one of those places where people talk about it like they talk about California or they talk about Colorado, with like a real passion. Um, and you know, I was just in um, uh, Michigan. We went through like Charlevoix, Beaver Island. I mean, it it truly is something special. Like there was a moment when uh, my wife and I kind of looked at each other, like, "All right, like we get it. It's it's incredible." But it's also you know, like you were talking about Detroit, I don't know, uh, speaking of content, uh, I don't know if you um, saw Flinttown, it was on Netflix a couple of years back, but it's about Flint, Michigan, and it basically like the police officers, they're grappling with these just untenable conditions, um, great series, I don't know if you ever ever caught that, it's kind of a police uh, procedural, you know, they tried to show all different sides of the issues there in Flint,
1: my wife is actually from Flint and she watched a few episodes. Well, she watched the whole thing. I watched a couple episodes with her and the whole time she's watching it. She's just like, it's so true. It was like when you and I went to see the book of Mormon and I was sitting there the whole time saying, this is so true. (laughs) Right. It's like, it was like that watching Flint town with her. Yeah. They definitely nailed it. Yeah. So the kind of the star of this book is the infection and Sigler offers these complex and scientific descriptions of this infection on a molecular level. So this organism's process, it's similar to like tropical parasites that have a complex life cycle. They require like the involuntary cooperation of other unwitting participants besides the host. Like have you ever seen Monsters Inside of Me? Uh, yeah.
0: no, it was like a series on, familiar. I think it
1: was maybe Discovery or something, Investigate, one of those channels but they they would tra- they would follow like the life cycle of all these crazy tropical parasites oh, okay. no, like, I
0: haven't seen this. No.
1: It's like a rat lung fluke or something. Like it would start off in the lung of a rat and then it would get eaten by a bird and then the bird would poop it out and then the s- eggs would get into you know somebody's feet by walking. It was like these crazy life cycles of all these parasites and people would end up with like things growing behind their eyes and all this insane, nasty stuff that we're (laughs) so protected from here. Yeah. But, uh, this book like really leans into that angle. So the, this organism requires the unlikely cooperation of the human hair mite. It's like these microscopic bugs that live in the hair follicles of humans. So they eat the skin cells and occasionally, the seeds of this uh, this disease, and it results in probably the most horrifying bodily attack I've ever read about in fiction. So the mites will digest their digestive juices, and their excreted feces are like the perfect catalyst to kickstart this one in a billion chance of this organism's life cycle reaching its horrifying conclusion. And on a personal level, the uh, the stages of like willful ignorance and denial and bargaining and anger and eventually acceptance of people that are succumbing to fighting this thing they're all so believable like anyone who's ever had a medical issue or even just like a scare that they don't want to believe is possible will be familiar with that kind of frightening thought process where you're like you just like pray that this isn't true and then you're like kind of bargaining in your own mind of like what you could do to change these scenarios like these are the these are the kind of things that he writes about in the book that are very disturbing. Like I've never really read a story about like a disease that seems so believable and yet just also just so out there.
0: So I I'm guessing this, this fictional disease that like it has, um, you're saying it has like scientific accuracy or believability like contagion would like these, cause I've seen, um, I I saw a picture, like a microscopic picture of like an animal that lives in like the hair follicle roots of our eyelashes. And it stuck with me. It was a long time ago, but I was like, oh, that's disturbing. And it's like in all of our eyelashes, it's like a little creature. So when you said that, I could like almost picture it because it's probably something very similar. But uh, yeah, that's weird.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a bit of a sci-fi novel. So as it progresses, you're like, luckily, this is not the world we live in but uh he said that he he crowdsourced a lot of his technical info so he like he would write his ideas is crazy out there ideas and he would submit them to experts and ask them to kind of pick them apart and this helped him create like totally believable concepts and something that you know you can only hope is actually unbelievable because he came up what he came up with it is so terrifying and so you'll Well, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but I will give you a little bit of a hint that you'll leave this story with a newfound case of uh, isoscelesophobia, which is the fear of triangles, which this book introduced me to the concept of. Really? And let me tell you, yeah, this is the kind of story (laughs) that will make you question your health every time you start itching. So this might be a new entry in your fear journal, Brett, the isoscelesophobia. That's something you might want to write down. Okay. That sounds very interesting. I mean,
0: you know, we we, last week we were talking about how strange the brain is with the, you know, cold water and nystagmus for, uh, you know, creating, it was like helping people with right hemispheric brain damage and removing their, uh, denial of, uh, deficits for a while. And, um, I know when people get rabies, like they're deathly afraid of water. And there's some advantage to hydrophobia, yeah. right, exactly. And there's a there's an advantage to it. Like if the virus, because I, I believe it's viral, it the rabies virus will more easily pass itself on from uh, host to host if that person's dehydrated and they don't. It's like creates more foam in their mouth or something like that. So like it it, it I don't know a fear of triangles. That sounds a little out
1: there, but I'll I'll believe anything if you convince me. Well enough. <laughs> You're very impressionable. So there are like mental effects of this disease. So it kind of starts off with reports of like unprovoked violence by people against their loved ones and friends or complete strangers. And the disease seems to have mind altering properties. It causes the infected to attack others and inflict, inflict injury upon themselves. And then it causes like paranoia, anger, schizophrenic behavior, It's kind of similar to the effects of the disease in the film The Crazies. Have you seen that? I haven't. There was an Uh -uh. old movie, and then it did a remake. But it's basically like there's a disease in that movie called Trixie that was uh, created by the government, and they introduced it into the water supply, and it's designed to destabilize a population Mm. by causing everyone to turn on each other. And uh, it's similar to that, but honestly that's where the similarities end Like uh, in the relation to this disease and anything else I've ever heard of. Like Scott Sigler has an amazing imagination when it comes to conceptualizing this thing. And it's all the more impressive because as he lays it out step by step, like if you looked at the end, you'd be like, no, absolutely not. But you read it step by step and you totally buy into it because it all seems so plausible when he lays it out at the molecular level. Wow. I mean, the characters in the store in the story debate it, you know, whether it's a naturally occurring disease or a bioweapon or something else. Hey, and part of that debate We're, we're becomes, still going through that debate, aren't we? <laughs> exactly. But like part of that debate in the story comes from the fact that when the host dies, the body starts to almost immediately decompose and it destroys all evidence of the infection and makes it almost impossible to investigate. And then there is this brutal description of a guy with an infection site on his testicles, and let me just tell you, it's pretty gnarly. It's it's pretty good when a book makes you like, I need to not read this while I'm eating.
0: Yeah, I remember you uh, saying that same thing when you were talking about iZombie. Zombie. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Still haven't read that yet, but it's on
1: my list. I I think about it all the time. It's good. And then in this story, like no one is spared. Like the story follows the personal battles of a Perry but you also witness this infection taking down kids, the elderly, pretty much everyone in between. Like it doesn't pull any punches and it throws several punches that I did not even know existed. Like it definitely follows the idea that the lives of the, uh, the lives and the stories of characters, uh, they are valuable. So you spin them with them in the most impactful and emotional way. So like when somebody dies in this, you definitely feel like Scott Sigler put a lot into like creating their backstory and making you feel like, oh, maybe this is a person that's going to go all the way. And then, you know, it has much more emotional impact when it happens.
0: You know, when is somebody going to write a book from the diseases perspective?
1: Well, you know what? There's a lot of that in this book. Is it really? Oh, cool. Yeah, It's about time. I know can we get a little bit more quality for the billionaires and the diseases out there? (laughs) So what I'm not going to go into here is the disease vector. Uh, it's very creative and it's original. And honestly, if you read the synopsis or like the book jacket, they kind of tell you what it is, but I'm not going to really go into it here. Is it, I want you to,
0: is it a MAGA rally?
1: Oh, you you said it was 15 (laughs) years ago. So it's definitely not that. (laughs) No, it's, it's really good. It's very creative. Um, But it's it's so interesting to discover it as the book progresses. So I'll leave that one mostly untouched and uh, as a way to entice you guys to go out and read the book. But seriously, there's a lot that I could discuss on that front, but I'm going to leave it all there for you guys, the readers, to experience firsthand. But have you ever heard of Morgellons disease?
0: It sounds kind of familiar, but uh, I don't don't, uh, really study up on my list of diseases very often unless it's applicable unless it comes up like uh, COVID-19
1: hopefully this has never comes up because it means there's you You probably have some mental issues <laughs> Okay. but uh, like the symptom symptoms of Morgellons disease they include non-healing skin sores, itchiness sensations of stinging, biting like insects crawling under your skin the people that have this also claim that they have these thread-like fibers that are excreted from skin lesions and these fibers play a big this. part in the story.
0: I have heard yeah, so about this. Yeah, this is real. I remember. Right?
1: Well, it's. They think it's. Uh, medical professionals think it's some some form of psychosis. Huh. Like I heard about this originally on a stuff you should know episode they did completely about Morgellons, and, you know, it's like the the current research is that these symptoms are all things that might be related to something else. Some of them may be imagined, but it's kind of like, it's like, it's, it's a form of psychosis of, it's like an imagined disease in these people. And, you know, there's, there's some newer research where, you know, they're exploring whether Morgellons is actually caused by like the body's reaction to an infectious agent, like, uh, the Borealis spora that causes Lyme disease. So the, the filaments may be composed of like keratin or collagen and they think it might be a reaction by the skin cells, but it's that's kind of like some fringe research that's been happening recently. Most everyone leans on the side of this just being like an imagined condition. So the inclusion of it as one of the primary symptoms of this story and the mysterious disease, it's really ingenious because This this organism organism in the in the book induces paranoia and distrust in the infected people, so Morgellons makes it even less likely that it will be diagnosed as anything serious. You know, in the in in the unlikely event that you know one of the people in this book actually goes to a doctor until it's way too late, and most of them don't because they're all so paranoid. So it's interesting Um, that he used Morgellons as a way. He kind of plays on Morgellons and you know the our real world look on it, how it's like an imagined problem as a way to make these characters in the book, like less sure, even as they're investigating it, like the CDC is investigating it and they're not sure if it's actually a real thing. Like even after they have all this amazing evidence, because there's so much background on Morgellons as being like a fake disease.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, that would, uh, a disease that causes paranoia would, uh, like, if we found out that, you know, one of the symptoms of, of COVID was paranoia, uh, that would be uh, horrible. Like, things would be, um, you know, exponentially worse with something like yeah, that. that.
1: Yeah, that would seem like, you know, there's already the debate with COVID, you know, like, if it was not necessarily created, but, like, released from the lab... Mm-hmm. But if if something like that, like if paranoia was part of it, you wouldn't be able to help but make the narrative that like it might have been done on purpose.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, that's that's really scary. And you know,
0: i I didn't. Uh, I I didn't. I don't know. I I I didn't find a lot of those like oh it escaped from a lab like things credible because I feel like I you know I did enough research early on and found that. COVID, um, you know, they could trace like the genetics of it and they, they already know that, you know, when you stack up dead animals on each other in like a market sitting baking in the sun, I've seen it firsthand in China. Like that is a recipe for, uh, you know, these like weird and exotic, like viruses and bacteria and whatever else you don't need, you don't need a lab. Uh, mother nature will create something horrible, but on that though, the, my kind of opinion on like if if that's a credible argument definitely changed when I heard about all of the accidental uh releases of like the world's most deadly dangerous diseases out of labs in the United States there's been like I don't know four or five like super high profile um escapes of like the worst like that's a real thing (laughs) So that I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess it, I guess it's possible like it it could just be human error and an accident. It doesn't even need to be intentional and like, you know, the the world's deadliest things can just like oops, slipped out on my shoe kind of thing.
1: Yeah, like I I don't know if I would I I've never leaned towards thinking that it was intentionally released, but you know, there was the research lab in Wuhan that was studying coronaviruses and that seems like a very plausible link, but I mean, I'm a contentologist, not a diseaseologist. <laughs> so what do I know? It's just as possible that it could have come from the wet market or whatever. Right. But I think that, I mean, that's part of the problem. Luckily, paranoia is not part of this cause there's already so much right. discourse about it, you know, and no one knows exactly what's going on. Yeah, for sure. So this book is great, but. Almost as interesting as the story is how Scott Sigler marketed this thing. And like most facts and true stories, this info came from yahoo.com. Ooh. So in 2006, when this novel was completed, uh, Scott Sigler could not find a publisher. And like so many times before this, people in charge are so concerned about adhering to the norms of their industry, even if they don't make any sense, that... uh, they sometimes make decisions that don't actually benefit that industry and so the genre defiance of this story was one of the main reasons that he couldn't find a publisher which is insane you know it's like this is a case of the people in power getting locked into a system and trying to hold the standards line and something that honestly always stifles creativity like i think a story that defies genres like this story does is actually a compliment and a nod towards realism because realism has no genre you know genre i think was kind of created as a shortcut to reaching like a certain emotion and i feel like as an art form evolves it's only natural for it to start to defy genre norms and i think that's what experts do they kind of master the rules of an art form so they can break them in a very specific manner and when that starts to happen, people usually get upset because they think that, you know, breaking the rules is like a shortcut to success there, or, you know, they think that those rules are, are in place for a reason. And I think that's, you know, a pretty uninformed opinion of why these rules exist, like when it comes to writing books or whatever. So he couldn't find someone to publish it. Cause they're like, well, what is it? Is it a horror story? Is it a, is it a story about a disease? Is it a police procedural? So he, like, he'd shopped this book around and no one wanted to touch it. So he decided to, re- to release the entire thing in a serialized form as a podcast. So he released the entire book that way. Now, obviously, this generated a ton of interest and he's ended up doing it with almost every one of his books since. Like, he's generated over 15 million episode downloads on his podcast you know, of him just reading chapters of his book. So he's just a few shy of what the content clearinghouse numbers are. So he's kind of creeping <laughs> up on us right now, Brett. So wait but, a minute. Uh, you're saying like for free, he's
0: basically released his books as audiobooks that he reads as a podcast.
1: Exactly. That's insane. And Wow. Yeah. So like people told him it was a terrible idea and he shouldn't be giving his art away, but his unlikely strategy totally worked. And the level of popularity of his podcast caught the attention of Crown Publishing. And then he eventually got a book deal. So I originally read the book on Kindle. But to prep for the show, I went back and listened to it in podcast version. He does all the narration. He creates individual voices for every character. You can tell that he like really cares about it so much. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, this is kind of cheesy with all these voices. But as is it, is it went on and on. I just started like associating the voices he does with the characters until eventually it didn't even sound like his voice anymore to me. And it's it's really good. I would definitely recommend checking it out that way. Like I don't know if you're a book on tape kind of guy, not usually Is that- yeah. Not usually. I'm yeah. I usually not either. I haven't Which I is, actually
0: haven't used a cassette tape since uh, 1999.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't wouldn't even have the technology to play it.
0: <laughs> no, I mean I do but, I do listen to audiobooks occasionally, but I always find myself uh just returning to a good old paper uh words on yeah. paper.
1: Yeah. Like it might have been why it seemed cheesy to me is because I don't do audiobooks very much. Like I I like to read, like I read on Kindle, but I like to read so I can kind of go at my own pace. Like I don't like to rush reading at all. It's more of like an enjoyable time for me. So I want to like kind of savor it and go back and reread things that are interesting. But this was a really cool way to check this out. And it's a really good gateway to all of Scott Sigler's work. So like with the din where we linked the entire movie for free, I'm going to put a link in the show notes for the podcast version. So you can go and consume this entire thing for free. And like I said, he's done this with most of his books. So that link will probably lead you to several others if you're into that kind of thing. And he also makes these video trailers for his books, which is very unique. Like I'll also link one of the uh, the trailers for Infected, which he makes just like full like action CGI movie trailers for his books. That's something I've never seen before.
0: That's really awesome, man. You know, I, I am... Uh, I fully support everything you said about bending or, uh, you know, excluding categories or genres. There's a lot of content we've talked about on the show that is very difficult to define from like a simple genre perspective. And that, you know, tends to be some of the best entertainment. I mean, just think about what one best picture uh, parasite, because now I got parasites on the mind. I mean, you could not label that as a as one genre and it was absolutely fantastic um and also i love supporting content creators that just give their content away i almost always end up like buying some merch or like subscribing on patreon or buying their book that i've already listened to for free um and you know we're, we're going that business model too it's like hey you get all the content clearinghouse for free and and maybe one day if you want to buy our merch if we ever come up
1: with some merch that'd be cool but uh um, and like I like Scott Sigler, we've got over 15 million downloads that's right in just a short short time um
0: you're very bullish I like it
1: uh so <laughs> where did Yahoo tie into this though oh well that was a uh, I found on uh, it was on Yahoo.com. It was the story of how he did that gotcha. online okay. marketing.
0: Okay, because, you know, Yahoo Answers is shutting down. Did you hear about that?
1: Oh, that's a real shame. They always have the best <laughs> comedic content on the internet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will miss you, Yahoo Answers. You helped so much <laughs> with me mocking
1: you. <laughs> it's true.
0: That's where I always went for a good laugh. That was
1: oh, man. the freeest so
0: content.
1: Yes, indeed. Yep. So uh, there, the other books in this series, you can kind of get a feel for w- the way this story progresses just looking at the titles. The first one is Infected, the second one is Contagious, and the third is Pandemic. <laughs> and they all tie into something called the verse because all of his books kind of tie together. Oh, nice. So I read another book of his called Ancestors, and it's like a medical thriller meets Jurassic Park. He does a lot of that genre bending, and it's really cool but it includes some of the characters from the Infected series, so you kind of get an idea of what they were doing in between the novels of this series. And let me just say that these guys in these stories never catch a break. You'll feel real bad for them as this, as the story progresses. So it was, uh, Infected was an option for a movie, but it never materialized. I think it would have made a great Cronenberg film because of the body horror. It had a short-lived graphic novel associated associated with it, but also kind of burned out. So what we're left with is this amazing book. It's available for free in podcast form or for sale in print and digital format. Scott Sigler is an amazing artist, and you should definitely support his work if you're into this kind of thing. Like buy the book if you can, or listen to the show, the audio format for free if money is tight, but definitely check it out because it is so good. And I'll leave you with a quote. I've kind of danced around this. Uh, I've always thought that this was a Stephen Hawking quote, but I couldn't find it specifically attributed to him anywhere. So maybe I made this up. <laughs> if okay. I did, I'm quite the quotologist. So don't quote me on that, Brett.
0: It was. It was probably uh, Butt Farm 420 on Yahoo Answers. It might have been. Answers but it's a
1: very those. astute quote, and it's be careful what we send into space because we don't know who is listening.
0: Oh. Interesting. Don't know what that has to do with the uh, Scott Sigler books you talked about, so I'm going to have to go listen to those right now and consume some content.
1: It's very good. Interesting. You will not regret it, Brett.
0: Very interesting. Well, thanks, Josh. I really appreciate it. I always love uh, content that makes me feel better about my existence because everything in the uh, content verse of whatever I'm consuming is going so poorly and uh, so you know if you do feel bad about um, you know 2020 contagion really helped with that and if you're not feeling so hot about 2021 maybe we should check out this Scott Sigler
1: infected Um, well if you're having a rough time also something to look forward to next week We have episode 50 coming up, which is going to be a very special episode of the content clearing house. It's going to be unlike anything we've done before. So kind of a way to commemorate the fact that we have hit 50 episodes. It's crazy to think that the podcast has gone that long already. That's right.
0: We're, uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but we're going to go into your home and do a live recording in your living room of the content clearing house next week. So we really look forward uh, to that. Can't wait to see in person with our download numbers, it's going to take a while, but I think we'll be able to pull it all, all off in a week. Awesome. Well, thanks for the uh, reminder of that announcement, Josh. And don't forget we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook at the content clearing house. You can email us contentclearinghouse at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week for the very special episode.